Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Let me take you back to that unforgettable weekend. The camping trip that would forever change my perspective on the wild, untamed landscapes of the Pacific Northwest. It all began when my wife, our daughter, and I decided to embark on a holiday camping adventure. 
We had taken the day off from work on that Friday and were ready to join our group of friends who had already set up camp. Our friends, also accompanied by their kids and dogs, had discovered a promising campsite, far from the beaten path, nestled just off a service road. It was primitive, lacking official campsite amenities, but it promised the kind of serene escape we all yearned for. Our group comprised 10 individuals in total, 7 adults, and 3 tweens. The campsite, located south of Mount Rainier in Washington State, rested just outside the boundaries of the National Park. A solitary road led to a locked gate, reserved for park staff only. Anyone who ventured in that direction soon made a U-turn, finding the gate impassable. Upon our arrival, our friends had thoughtfully set up two tents, with one position closer to the road for us, while they occupied the ones further back. With camp successfully established, we spent the evening relaxing by the fire, kids playing joyously, and all of us savoring a delightful dinner. It was a typical camping scene, friends gathered around a crackling fire, sipping drinks, and sharing stories. As the night wore on, fatigue began to claim our energy, and the coolness of the night air set in. One by one, our friends retreated to their respective tents, seeking warmth and rest. My wife, feeling particularly cold, sought refuge in the warmth of our car, where she eventually fell asleep. Our daughter and I remained the last ones by the fire, reluctant to surrender to the chilling embrace of the night. However, eventually, she expressed her desire to sleep in the car with her mother to escape the cold. I agreed to her plan after unsuccessfully attempting to wake my wife, who was fast asleep in the car. After my daughter retrieved her blanket and sleeping bag from the tent, she zipped it up securely and headed to the car. Left alone, I decided to stay up a little longer, tending to the dwindling fire, its glowing embers casting an eerie light in the pitch-black surroundings. Somewhere around 3.30 in the morning, I stirred from a momentary doze, only to find myself alone by the fire, with nothing but the dim glow of fading coals for company. The inky darkness was oppressive, and the once energetic fire had transformed into a bed of red-hot embers. It was time to retire to the tent. Navigating my way through the utter blackness of the night, I managed to reach our tent. My exhaustion was overwhelming, and I fell into a deep slumber as soon as I crawled into my sleeping bag. Then, at around 3.30 in the morning, I was startled awake by the faint rustling of my daughter's tent. It sounded as if two women were conversing softly, but their words were indistinct, resembling mere mumbling. This unexpected disturbance left me slightly irritated, as I assumed my wife and daughter were merely settling into her tent, attempting not to wake me as they chatted quietly. With this thought, I directed my attention back to my own slumber. However, my irritation quickly gave way to an eerie sense of unease. In the silence of the night, a disturbing sensation crept over me, something unnatural. I noticed the persistent sound of what seemed like sticks breaking or snapping, which I attributed to the still-burning fire, now reduced to occasional pops and cracks. Then, a more unsettling realization struck me, something was moving near the front of my tent, and it had come to a halt just outside. I could sense its presence, its heaviness, and I remained perfectly still, fearing to make even the slightest movement. As I sat there in the darkness, 
terror coursing through me, I suddenly heard a deep, resonant breath, audible, deliberate, and powerful. The exhale that followed was a loud, huffing sound, akin to what one might expect from a large animal, like a horse or a cow. The sound was incredibly close, almost touching the fabric of my tent. I was paralyzed with fear. My senses were heightened, every nerve on edge, as I struggled to comprehend the inexplicable. What manner of creature stood just beyond the thin wall of my tent? The only thing that separated us was that fragile layer of fabric, yet I dared not move or make a sound. After that single, heavy breath and the ensuing huff, a profound silence enveloped the area, casting an even more ominous pall over my predicament. The night offered no respite from the terror that had gripped me, and I remained frozen in place. Time stretched on indefinitely, but the first rays of dawn finally began to seep through the darkness, providing some modicum of reassurance. Gathering my courage, I ventured outside to inspect the area in front of my tent. It was then that I made a shocking discovery, my daughter's tent stood before me, its zipper unfastened, and it was vacant. Panic surged through me, and I rushed to the car to find my wife and daughter soundly asleep. It was impossible, there were no tracks, no evidence of anyone or anything disturbing our camp. My wife and daughter had not left the car, and no tracks led to or from the tents. My mind reeled with unanswered questions and unspoken fears. Who were the soft voices that had rustled my daughter's tent? What was the source of the ominous breathing and huffing just outside my own tent? How had my daughter's tent been unzipped in the dead of night? Despite the rising sun and the promise of daylight, I was left with a profound sense of unease, a nagging fear that the wilderness held secrets far beyond our understanding. The first night had been terrifying, and the mysteries of the second night were just beginning to unravel. As the day wore on, and we ventured into the wilds around us, the true nature of our secluded camping spot would be revealed, leaving us with a sense of dread that lingers to this day. I'm here to tell you about several different experiences that I've had with Bigfoot or Sasquatch in my lifetime. Everything from having rocks thrown at me to this thing charging at my trailer to seeing this thing face to face. Back when I was in my earlier 20s, I want to say probably 25, I had gotten my first RV and decided to take it into some of the mountains down in California. Now I drove that some bitch all around. I want you to know that I lived in that thing and it was my baby for quite some time. But there were a few times that I felt strange things happen or that there was maybe a strange presence outside my RV, if that makes any sense. The time that really stands out to me in particular was there was one night that I was sleeping in my camper when I started to hear these little pop-pop sounds against my trailer. Then they started to get louder and heavier and start turning into thuds. Then I realized that I was having rocks and pebbles thrown at my trailer. What the hell, I thought. I'm out in here in the middle of the woods by myself at 3 in the morning. I'm pretty much butt naked and I've run outside my trailer and look around. It's pitch black and there's nothing but the stars in the sky. There's no person, there's no sounds, only crickets. I'm not sure what on earth was pelting my trailer but I walk over to the side in which I heard the noise and there's a bunch of rocks and pebbles all along the base of the RV, along with little dents from all the rocks being thrown. 
something or someone was throwing rocks. I want you to keep in mind that these kind of events happened to me all over the state of California. There was really no specific location that these things happened or didn't happen, they would just happen from time to time, some worse than others. There would be times where I'd be hiking out in the woods by myself and I would hear wood knocking, screams, and other really strange sounds that I couldn't quite explain. Actually, if you get on YouTube right now and type in Bigfoot screams, I believe there's an audio clip that's taken from Eastern Oregon, at least I think. If you listen to that, that actually pretty closely matches what I would hear sometimes off in the woods, along with the wood knocking. Another time I was hiking alone and I'm pretty sure I stumbled into these things territory by accident. I remember I had passed several, well, what they would probably indicate as markers. These were trees that were literally ripped and uprooted out of the ground, turned upside down, and broken apart and in pieces. It was the strangest sight. If any of you want to know what I'm talking about, simply go to Google Images and look for Bigfoot markers and Bigfoot upside down trees to get an idea of what I'm talking about. I didn't believe that those things could happen like that, but unfortunately, when you come face to face with these things, it's an unfortunate reality. I had walked past these markers a little ways and noticed the wilderness around me dead silent, and that's when I started to feel a little uneasy. I was right next to a ridge, and something in my gut told me to look up. And at the top of the ridge, maybe 20 feet away from me, was the largest, what I would call Bigfoot, that I could ever have imagined seeing in my life. This thing was a behemoth. It was massive. Not only did it have the largest barrel body I've ever seen, but it looked like a silverback gorilla on steroids. I'm talking easily 9 to 10 feet tall and I can't even measure the girth because it was just so massive. The muscles itself were humongous. But the most haunting part of that whole experience was the intent look that it was giving me. It had a very mean and earthy looking face, a very pronounced brow ridge and large nose and lips. The eyes were dark but not pitch black. I could kind of see them from only about 25 feet away. This thing just glared at me menacingly. Its body language and entire demeanor were basically holding its ground and defending its territory. If I were to summarize the way it was looking at me, it was basically telling me to leave now. You bet your sweet ass I wasn't going to be trying to challenge an animal this large. Hell no. Anyway, I just wanted to share these my new details with you, and in the future, I might go ahead and send you a really full in-depth encounter that I had in Colorado. The memory of that hunting trip still haunts me to this day. It began as an adventure, a chance to reconnect with my closest friends in the rugged wilderness of Yosemite National Park. We were a tight-knit group, bound by years of shared experiences and an unbreakable bond. The prospect of solitude and the thrill of the hunt drew us to those remote woods, but little did we know the horrors that awaited us. We set out with high spirits, the crisp mountain air invigorating us as we trekked deeper into the wilderness. The towering pines and the distant cry of birds promised an escape from our busy lives, a chance to find solace in the heart of nature. But as we ventured further, an unsettling feeling settled over us, like an unseen presence watching our every move. 
The first eerie encounter occurred when we stumbled upon strange symbols etched into the bark of ancient trees. They were unlike anything I had ever seen, twisted, intricate patterns that seemed to pulse with an otherworldly energy. We dismissed them as the work of overactive imaginations or perhaps the remnants of some long-forgotten cult. Then came the voice, a haunting, ethereal whisper that seemed to beckon us deeper into the woods. It was as if the very forest itself was trying to communicate with us, a notion that sent shivers down our spines. We attempted to rationalize it, blaming the wind or our tired minds, but deep down, we knew something was amiss. Our eerie encounters escalated when, one evening, we ventured into a small clearing. The fading light of the setting sun cast long, eerie shadows, and there it was, the creature. This thing had a round human-sized head with no beak and huge bat-like wings. Its body stretched to a terrifying 5 to 6 feet in length, its wingspan an immense 25 to 30 feet. It had no feathers, just jet black, bat-like skin that glistened in the fading light. Its skinny, 4 to 5 foot tail protruded straight out behind it. But it was the way it moved that sent a shiver down our spines. It didn't fly like a bird, but rather, it glided about 10 feet off the ground at a plodding speed. After a distance of 50 to 75 feet, it took one enormous flap of its wings, never changing its elevation, and glided up the road until it disappeared into the woods. I couldn't shake the feeling that this creature didn't belong in the world above, it was as though it had emerged from some underground lair, perhaps near a hidden hot spring, which explained its absence of feathers. Our sense of unease reached its peak when tragedy struck. One evening, as we were setting up camp, the creature returned. It descended upon us with horrifying speed, its enormous wings casting a shadow over our campfire. Panic ensued as we tried to defend ourselves, but it was futile. In the chaos, one of our friends was taken, seized by the creature and carried off into the night. We searched frantically but found no trace of our missing friend. Desperation and fear gnawed at us as we realized the gravity of the situation. It was then that we discovered our friend's lifeless body under a nearby hill, surrounded by strange symbols etched into the ground. With trembling hearts, we decided to call the police, hoping for assistance and answers. But as we recounted our story to the officers who arrived on the scene, we were met with incredulity and skepticism. They accused us of concocting a wild tale to cover up our friend's death, and they promptly placed us under arrest. As we were handcuffed and led away from the eerie woods that had claimed our friend's life, I couldn't help but wonder if the creature we had encountered was a guardian of some hidden, ancient secret within Yosemite. It was a chilling thought, one that would haunt me for the rest of my days. It's already been two weeks since I've got a job as a park ranger. It was an isolated area mayant to preserve possible near-extinction species, as they have no more than a dozens left alive. I remember that when I first applied they made sure I went through enough training to prepare both physically and mentally. It was a very tough job according to my supervisor and would possibly include killing poachers if necessary. Of course I wasn't sure if it was acceptable to do that instead of arresting them but the site was pretty much far away from any possible city so I didn't complain and went along. 
Everything seemed normal at the first days on my shifts, the same patrol around and make sure everything is being preserved and protected from poachers, you know, the usual park ranger duties, that is until the 11th day when I was called to do the night shift as the guard assigned to it got into a terrible accident on TBE way home and broke his leg, being someone who took the job seriously I agreed to it and stayed for the night shift, but before I could start, my supervisor went to me and explained what to do since it was different from my usual daytime shifts, since it's your first time in this position, I can assume you're not used to this role right? He asked me as I geared up with the night shift tools. Yes sir, I'm not used to work until late, let alone on the dead of the night but I've got confidence that I can do it until the other guy recovers. I answered, being a little nervous but keeping my stance. He pulled me aside before I was about to start and explained me what I had to do and what to expect in certain situations. Alright so here are the basics, if you hear bone cracking sounds, ignore them. If you hear metal rustling, turn off your flashlight, and if you hear voices calling for you that aren't coming from your radio, shoot your gun to scare them away. Do I need to repeat anything? He asked in a serious way. And no sir, I understood everything, if you want I can even get a note if I forget. I answered, a bit nervous after his explanation. Good, I'll be reaching you to time from time to check. And as he said that he walked away. Now alone and fully geared I started the patrol, I was supposed to head to the north zone of the site and make sure everything is in order. The moon was shining bright and everything was quiet and eerie, not even owls could be heard, everything was dead silent save for my footsteps and the voice on the radio from my supervisor. As I was already midway on the path I started to hear the metal rustling nearby so as instructed I turned off my flashlight and waited. It was obviously too dark to see but I could make a silhouette that somewhat resembled a wolf with something on its back but it quickly ran off, and I turned on my flashlight again to keep moving. I was approaching the location I heard the same voices I was told about, my supervisor who also could hear it from his radio instructed me to fire my gun, but as I was about to do it I realized I didn't load any bullet and I noticed the voices getting closer but they started to fade away on the darkness. It was tempting so despite my supervisor telling me to proceed I went off the path and followed the voices, that's when I found the source. It looked vaguely human, but its skin was so melted that it looked like clay, it was hard to hear but I could make some words it was trying to scream, help. Please H help. I beg you. It hopelessly tried to say. I just stood there frozen and when I turned my flashlight up I noticed the wolf thing, it was huge. 5 foot 5 in height if I had to guess, it had metal tendrils coming out of its back and it just stared as it pulled the melted body humanoid as it continued to beg for help. Without any choice I ran back to the path and kept going until I reached my destiny and found my supervisor waiting for me, he pulled me inside the radio building and quickly shut the door. So, what did you find on the way? He asked while panting from shutting the door. What do you mean? I could have died because of that thing. Was it always here on the site? I yelled while trying to get answers. He just shut me off and explained everything to me. This place had more dangerous species that were largely hunted across the globe so they were brought here to be kept. I was still confused about the situation, why would they want them alive? Are they really that important? 
The next days and the night shift were much more quieter but from time to time I would see the wolf thing or another weird animal that I couldn't make the details, I'm not sure what this place really is or what are all the things living within the area but I know one thing, those monsters were better off contained. I'm the witness, though I'd prefer not to use my name. I'm a Navy vet in my late 50s, and this incident happened in June 2021 when I was camping with some of my old Navy buddies. We were in a very remote area of the forest in southwest Pennsylvania, most likely in Greene County. We had spent most of the day hiking to our camping spot, and it was around dusk when we set up our tents. I decided to go off alone to gather firewood. It was getting dark, but I was only about 30 yards from our camp, and I had my .45 with me just in case. As I was collecting firewood, I realized I was being flanked on both my left and right sides by something. That's when I called out to my friends, and they quickly came to check on me. As we walked back on the trail, a creature unlike anything we'd ever seen emerged from the forest. It was a massive wolf-like creature, standing on two legs, about seven to eight feet tall. Its chest was like that of a bodybuilder, and its eyes were glowing yellow as it gnashed its teeth. A strange slime was dripping from its mouth, and it charged at us. Fortunately, a large boulder seemingly came out of nowhere and struck the creature on the side of its head, causing it to fall into a ravine. We wasted no time and hurried back to our camp. But our ordeal was far from over. Another, even larger, wolf-like creature appeared and charged at us as well. This time, it was hit by a tree, causing a loud cracking sound as it fell. As we watched in shock, a huge creature covered in hair, standing about 10 feet tall with noticeable breasts, stepped out of the forest. It was holding a log in its hands. It was joined by another hairy creature, this one towering at 12 feet tall. They both stared at us, and the female creature pointed down the trail, as if telling us to leave the area. We didn't need any more convincing. Since it was too far and too late to hike out, we decided to make a bonfire using any wood that was close by or had already been gathered. We stayed up all night with our weapons drawn, hearing the two sets of creatures circling our camp. At one point, another of the wolf-like creatures stepped out of the forest and started walking in our direction but it was stopped by one of the Bigfoot-like creatures that emerged and attacked it with a large stick. As dawn broke, we were terrified but exhausted. We broke camp and, despite our weariness, made our way back down the trail and out of the area. The memory of that night, and the bizarre creatures we encountered, still haunts us to this day. I live in San Jose, California. I'm nobody special, just a regular guy who loves to hunt and camp in the outdoors. I'm 50 years old and I'm a mechanic who works for a school district in Sunnyvale, California in the Silicon Valley. I've spent a lot of time outdoors with my brother deer hunting in the Sierra Nevada mountain range. I'd like to tell you my story of the two encounters with what I believe was a Bigfoot. In 2017, we went on a D6 hunting trip in the Stanislaus National Forest in California in Kennedy Meadows. My brother Jason and good friend Rodney went along. It was a packed trip. 
I was super excited because this would be my first hunting trip on horseback. It was a five-day trip where we rode horseback below the lake near Levitt Meadows. The hunt was amazing. I was able to take a black bear and was super excited on the second night of the trip. However, on the third night, we experienced high wind and rain that woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Everything went silent and this weird feeling came over me, but I can't explain what it felt like. As I laid my sleeping bag, I could hear footsteps around my tent. I was sleeping with my 357 caliber handgun and my brother and my friend also had handguns. I screamed out to my brother Jason to stop messing around and he yelled back, saying he was not doing anything, that he was in his tent. I have to say my mind started playing tricks on me because after a while I could feel a presence near me and could hear footsteps crunching the ground near my tent. I lay in my tent trying to talk myself into opening up the flap as fast as I could to see what was behind me. The four-season tent had two zippers and I knew it would take a little bit of time to get out of it. I slowly positioned myself to get out of the tent as fast as I could with my handgun in one hand and turned my headlamp on to see what was out there. I ripped out of the tent as fast as I could and caught a glimpse of a huge dark black shadow that scared the crap out of me. I started firing up my handgun in the location where I saw the shadow, not to kill it but to scare whatever it was because I wanted it to leave me alone. I was not sure what it was. I don't think it was a black bear because it stood pretty tall. I woke up my buddy Rodney and Jason and they said that I must have been dreaming because the gunshot didn't wake them up. I don't know what I saw but I believe it was a Bigfoot. The next morning when the sun came up I went to check the area where I saw the huge shadow. In this location I had hung the black bear meat, I'd say about 10 feet high and a pretty sturdy line. To my amazement, the meat bag was ripped off of the tree and on the ground. My brother and friend said it was probably a black bear that reached up there to grab it, but I don't believe that. There's no way it could have reached that high. Here's another encounter during a D5 hunting trip in 2020. It's kind of near the same location, near Kennedy Meadows, but in Eagle Meadows near Relief Reservoir. There have been many wildfires and a lot of the forest land was closed down except for this location for the hunting season opener. A lot of the hunters thought that area was closed down due to the wildfires so my brother and I had the place to ourselves. We headed up on our four-wheel drive quads and I found a beautiful rock overlook and proceeded to hunt. I have to say, after my last encounter, I was a little bit wary of possible experiences to be had with Bigfoot. The area that I was in was filled with open-range cattle. I was watching them feed through the canyon. I was lying on a rock when that strange feeling came over me again like it did on the last hunting trip in 2017. It was around 5 a.m. And I started hearing the timberline cracking as if the trees were falling down. I positioned my scope in the location where I could hear the trees cracking but never saw a thing. I was too afraid to go into the tree line. I have to say this noise continued throughout the whole day I'm not sure what it was but it scared me. My brother Jason thought it was the cattle moving through the tree line. I have to say it was pretty loud to be cattle knocking down branches off the trees. I don't know what it was. The feeling I got in my gut was not to go in the timber line. I just find it kind of strange I have these gut feelings of danger.
I've been a female truck driver for the past 15 years. I am also a quantum healing hypnosis practitioner which is a past life regression and healing modality. I've had UFO experiences, and I've seen six ships including an incident four months ago in Sedona, Arizona. Two nights in a row I saw a ship, a long oval with an estimated 100 lights, or square windows on the side. It was silent moving left to right both nights at the same height. My first forest people experience was at age 23 driving on Delaney Valley Road there was a restaurant to my right called Pierce's Plantation in front and to my left was the Lock Raven Reservoir in Baltimore County, Maryland. As I approach the turn I feel anxiety for no reason. It's like a wall was suddenly there. I feel like maybe something bad is about to happen. I do not see anything. I hear a clear voice in my head that says, do not look him directly in the eyes, so as humans do. I took it in and kept driving, still feeling creepy. Six miles down the road I came to a stop and made a left turn onto the Lock Raven Reservoir Bridge. After coming off the bridge there's a person walking that looks like a man in pants and a black hoodie with the hood up. It was fall and it was cold. The fear was still there and was building up. As the person was coming closer to the car I knew it was about the person I was warned not to look at. No other persons or cars were on the road. I remember being a defiant 23 year old and thinking, I'm going to look at this person. Well, I did. I could not see the face but there were two red glowing eyes. I looked down quickly and passed them. I got a sense of it being male. The fear passed after I passed him. Do I think it was a forest person? No. He was normal size, like a slender teenager. I think the forest people were warning me. Perhaps they knew of the encounter that was going to happen. My story goes back to 1975. My girlfriend and I were driving back to Idaho where I was going to school. We were headed towards Yellowstone Park and the Montana East Gate in a little yellow Volkswagen. It was around midnight and it was kind of snowing. Picture a two-lane road with tall trees and no moon or anything, just our headlights and the snow falling. All of a sudden there was this figure I saw walking right in the center of the road, walking in the same direction as me. In other words, her back was to me. It was a woman. At first, I noticed her and I told my girlfriend. Do you see what I see? A girl walking out here at midnight. It's probably about 30 degrees out. The closer we got, the more detail I could make out. I was gonna roll down my window and ask if she needed help, but we noticed that she was wearing very old, I guess 19th century garb, clothing. And she had hobnail boots. She had a long shawl around her shoulders and in her hair, she had long brown hair, down probably a little bit below her shoulder blades. And the closer we got, we noticed something weird. Her hair was completely dry. Not wet, like you would expect for somebody out in the snow. I was about to roll down my window and my girlfriend said, don't even stop. Don't even look. Go. You know, that freaked me out because I was just about ready to slow down. She said, don't even look in the mirror, she has no face. I immediately drove away. You can imagine, here we are putting along in a little Volkswagen and I just slowly moved over to the right to avoid hitting her. 
As I moved off and later got to the gate, the ranger said, sorry, the pack. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is closed tonight due to the snow. I asked, you mean we gotta go back? He says, well, there's a little motel about half a mile back. We were scared out of our wits. Anyway... We got to this motel and fortunately, the guy still had a room available. As soon as we got in the room, we just locked the door and put the chair in front of it. The rest of the night we couldn't sleep. In 1988 I was the assigned security supervisor for the Wenigarat munitions storage area. Although it was just on the other side of the village of Wenigarat we called it Morbach. We were assigned to Han Air Base and not Morbach. Morbach isn't even a base, it is a town just down the road on the B-327. As we drove through Wenigarat, I was driving the bus, some of the guys noticed that the candle in the shrine was not lit and there was a full moon. We all knew of the local legend. We sort of just laughed about it. When we first came on duty my patrols would do a sweep of their assigned sectors. As I was in the security trailer with the security controller, radio dispatch, reading the previous shift's logs, one of my foot patrols found three dead deer within one of the wooded areas and radioed us. When I arrived on scene I noticed that their throats were damaged and two had their entrails and hindquarters eaten along with what appeared to be their internal organs, liver, heart. We did have wild boar in and out of the area and these were a small barking deer species. We placed a call to the local forest meister so he could remove the deer carcasses. I went back to the security control trailer to phone the base on the incident. After that I radioed all patrols for an area briefing at control. As the patrols rolled in we heard a low level but loud growl, howl coming from the direction of our only alarm structures to the west of our location. I radioed the foot patrol assigned to that area since they were still en route. As I did, they came running out of the darkness yelling did you guys hear that? About that time it howled again. Low, deep, long and loud. It sounded like it was within our fence line. I called the entry control point to see if they had permitted any K-9 patrols in the area. They said no and also reported the howling. One of the guys said what if it's the werewolf? We all kind of giggled but then it howled again. This time from the center of the site but this howl was unreal. It vibrated you inside. Hard to describe. I called the base and updated them that we had a breach of some kind of animal. 
sounded like a large dog or possibly a wild animal. They stated that the forest meister had been called and was on his way. I asked the patrols if they wanted me to turn on the area lighting. They said no. The area lighting usually made matters worse since they cast too many shadows and ruined your night vision. As it was with the full moon we could see pretty good. I issued night vision scopes to two of the patrol leaders. They mounted on our M16s. I informed them that they did not have permission to lock and load. Since it was peacetime, Cold War, we carried our weapons with a loaded magazine, weapon on safe and no round in the chamber. When it was about to get noisy, lock and load meant to charge your weapon, jack around in the chamber, and get ready to rock and roll baby. I took one of the foot patrols with me, strength in numbers, and headed to the perimeter in case it tried to circle my guys. I went by the fallen deer to show the patrol. When we got there I noticed that the third deer had also been snacked on. I immediately called all the patrols. It had come back and fed on the third deer. About that time one of the mounted patrols, vehicle, had made contact and was pursuing a large dark K9. We ran in a circular route as to try to outflank whatever it was they were chasing. The entry gate radioed me saying that our K9 patrol had arrived. I had them dispatched to the western fence line since that's where we were all going. The pursuing patrol radioed that it was turning towards the command trailer. Here's a funny part. Alpha control radioed that he was locking down and wasn't opening the door till daylight. I took the foot patrol and headed to the fence line since we had two patrols going to control. The K9 patrol was already there and I dispatched him to the alarm structures to stand by. I did this since they were between control and the perimeter fence. When we got to the fence I put one of the guys near the fence line and I with the patrol leader headed to a small hill to overwatch his position. I asked for status reports because I could hear a lot of yelling. They said it was coming toward us. I radioed control to turn on our sector's lighting. Our area was mostly open with trees on the right side. We switched off our scopes and in that instant that we reached to turn off the units our guy on the fence started screaming. We turned in time to see a huge dark mass clear our 9-foot fence. It quickly faded from our perimeter lighting into the darkness. I asked for the area lighting to be turned off. I walked further up to the hill and switched on my night scope. I looked in the direction it had run. Since the magnification was weak I really didn't expect to see anything that I saw it. It was leaned up against a tree looking at us on its hind legs breathing heavily. I yelled 2 o'clock 200 meters. Then it turned and faded into the trees. Only one other patrol leader saw it. It was now 2.30 am. The forest meister arrived at the entry gate. I had to sign him in. I asked the K-9 unit to foot patrol the fence but the dog had retreated to his kennel and would not come out. I put all units back on active patrol and to remain extra vigilant. As I escorted the forest meister to the dead deer I explained what had happened. He listened carefully and seemed to be absorbing it all in. He took pictures of the deer for records then bagged the bodies. He said that it didn't appear to be the work of wild boar. It had all the markings of a wolf attack. He said wolves usually didn't kill their prey, they usually died from shock and blood loss. They would knock it down and start eating the hindquarters with the animal still alive. 
This one killed them then ate them as evidenced by the neck injuries. I asked if they could jump nine foot fence. He said this one could and laughed. The guys were jazzed to say the least. We had a group meeting around 4 am. I said that I needed written reports by the shifts end at 6.30 so to take turns patrolling. Alpha 2, command trailer, opened his door even though it was still dark out. I remember sitting there sipping some coffee saying are they going to believe this? He said we were all going to piss in the bottle. That meant a urine analysis to see if we were on drugs. We laughed about it. When we got back to the armory I was pulled aside by my flight chief and shift commander. I briefed them on what had happened. My flight chief asked me to take home the statements and proofread them first then to turn them in before guard mount. When I arrived I noticed that the roster had been amended. We were all going back to Morbach. It was very rare to have the same patrol twice let alone the entire area. On the bus ride out there we were pretty much quiet. I stopped the bus at the altar to make sure the candle were lit and the old guy awake. Thumbs up. The flight chief showed up around midnight and we had a powwow. He said we had two choices. We could turn in the statements but omit the werewolf references or shred the statements and have me write in the log book that a wild animal had killed some deer in the wooded area behind the ammo building and that the forest meister had been dispatched. End of story. As we all looked at each other. He stated that our PRP would be called into question. PRP is a program that enables us to work around nuclear resources. To lose your PRP cast a dark cloud over you plus you got crap details while you were being reevaluated. Took up to 45 days. So we opted for the later. Some of us choose not to talk about it, but obviously some did. It really happened. It wasn't some story to scare the jeeps. Jeeps are FNGs, rookies, etc. Was it a werewolf? Was it an endangered European wolf? Was it a coincidence that the candle was out that night of a full moon? You decide. As for me, I'll say this. The above statement is true to the best of my knowledge. I found you on the internet and needed an explanation of something I saw last October while bow hunting. I live just east of Little Rock and make my way to Sebastian County when the season opens. There's a man who owns a farm with woods who I've known for many years, so he lets me come on his land to hunt. He told me a while back that he doesn't like to go into the woods anymore because there were people seeing too many weird things. I never saw anything weird until the last time I was there. When I got to his house that morning we talked over coffee, then I made my way towards the woods. I guess it was in the low 60s and clear. It had rained for a few days, which made me happy because the wet ground in the woods would make less noise when walking. I took the usual trail along the edge until I reached the ridge where I would take cover in the rocks. As I got near the rocks I saw something moving on the ground. I stopped walking and stood still about 40 feet away. It was an injured deer moving around but it just didn't look right. The legs weren't kicking and the head was still. The body was sliding away from me. I stepped into the woods and walked nearer on an angle so I could see what was going on. As I moved closer I quickly froze. At first, I thought it was a huge snake dragging the deer, but as my eyes adjusted to the low light I don't think my brain wanted to believe what my eyes were seeing.
I needed a better look, so I slowly moved closer and then crouched down behind a pair of rocks. I'll swear on the good book, it looked like a giant centipede. It was dark colored and thick, maybe compared to a stovepipe. It was side winding back and forth as it pulled the deer along, so it was hard to tell how long it was. I'd guess that it measured 10 feet or more. There must have been a hundred legs on this thing. The body had segments all along its length. It was pulling the deer by the hindquarters and tail. I know I sound crazy but I watched it for a good while. I followed it down the ridge into the hollow. It didn't stop moving until it reached a pile of rocks as it tried to pull the carcass over it. It let go of the deer and raised up. I'll never forget the eyes as they looked my way. It laid down on the deer and watched me. That was enough because I didn't want to mess with it. If I had a gun, I may have taken a shot at it, but I wasn't sure what an arrow would do. I didn't have my cell phone with me. I slowly backed away then turned and quickly walked back towards the farmhouse. I didn't mention anything to the farmer other than I wasn't feeling well and needed to go home. I haven't been back since, but I do want to go back soon and see if there is a trace of it. I haven't told a single person what I saw but I will because I want some backup when I go back into those woods. You asked me for a sketch or photo, so I attached the best picture I could find. The head and eyes are similar. Real weird. The body was rounder and thicker in comparison. I give you my permission to use my story but don't give out my name and phone number. As I told you before, if I find anything else I'll let you know right away. Thanks for getting back to me. Back in 2001, I was visiting my great uncle in the region around Kerrville, Texas. At the time he was living in his first house in the area before he moved to a retirement community, near a small set of trees. The trees were beautiful, really, as is the hill country. I was staying with him and my great aunt for about a week, when we went out for an evening to walk his dachshund as we tended to do in the evenings. The walk was uneventful as the sun set, just a normal evening complete with the calls of doves and other wildlife, and the dog just had a wonderful time. Then, suddenly, all the wildlife went deafeningly silent and both of us froze, as did the dog. I remember having a distinct sense of unease and fear that I could not quite explain, and the dog looking directly into a specific area near a streetlight, my eyes turning to where the dog was looking. There was a creature loping through there, a dog-like thing about the size of a large Labrador retriever, save that on the creature's neck there was a head the size of a bear. The thing was loping up and down and up and down in a way that fitted that kind of build. It looked hypnotic in a sense and I was more terrified than I have ever been with anything else I ever saw. It gave me a visceral understanding of Lovecraft's idea that things that just look fundamentally wrong are terrifying precisely because the proportions do not fit. That thing was powerfully built. The upper limbs in particular were very stout and the dog remained frozen for another few minutes before we moved back to the house. I'm not sure what precisely that was, or if it was a dogman, but it convinced me that something like that could exist. The sudden silence that lasted for a few minutes after it left, and the dog just being frozen without even growling or barking still sends chills in me when I remember it. As my only encounter with something like a cryptid, too, it remains something very vivid in my mind 
Not least because I know how dogs move. I know what wolves would move like, and whatever that was it was no natural thing that made sense. About 13 years ago I came face to face with a giant animal in San Jose, California. I've only shared my story with close friends. I was cat sitting at my boyfriend's aunt's house. He was in the bathroom. I walked into the living room which has a sliding glass door that leads to the backyard. It was dark out I don't recall the time. I looked over and saw an animal about 6 to 7 feet tall. It had two eyes, on its hind legs with an arched back, and it had long claws on its paws. Its hind legs were short. It was a few inches away from the glass just looking in at me. I screamed. It turned around slowly got down on all fours and left. I ran to my boyfriend I told him. To be honest at the time I thought I had seen some giant monster raccoon. My aunt had a ton of raccoons in her backyard we had just seen one by the door. She would feed the stray cats. She had a big kitty litter bucket full of kibble right outside the door. The raccoons would actually pull the lid off the bucket and eat away. The animal I saw was standing right by the kibble in the same place we would see the raccoons. She doesn't do that anymore. I never told her what I saw most likely she would think I was crazy. She has a fenced backyard but it was in rough shape the portion by the front yard was knocked down. So I told a few close friends and they believed me. I think I did google back then just to find nothing I let it go as just a big raccoon. I don't know why but the past few months it has been bothering me. Wondering what was that, what happened that night. I have never heard the term cryptid, never believed in Bigfoot or anything like that. I started searching online to explain this. The closest thing I could find online that was close to what I saw was a description of a giant ground sloth. Was this what I saw it actually made a lot of sense to me. I have not heard of anyone else seeing this around here. I would greatly appreciate it if you have heard any stories like mine to let me know. Thanks. It was around 10.20 PM. On June 7th, 2021, and I was getting ready for bed, so I had to take my dog for a walk. I took her to the end of the street which is usually where we turn around and go back home, but it started to rain. Both of us loved the rain so I decided to keep going. We walked about 10 more minutes down to Highland Park, and just sat at a picnic table for a while, just enjoying the rain. That was when I started feeling this weird sort of fear as if there was some predator watching me from the woods. Eventually, the fear grew too strong and I got up and speed walked away. From there we went down to the lagoon, a retired sewage pond that had been recently drained, and I decided to walk all the way around it. But the fear still went on and got stronger. I could have sworn something was stalking me. So I just bolted. I ran as fast as I could for as long as I could. When I stopped to catch my breath I looked around to check for predators and saw nothing, until I looked up. Hovering above, there were two triangular-shaped, for lack of a better term, flying machines. They were a dark, sort of hazy gray with a faintly glowing red dome on the bottom and three bright white lights coming off of each corner. The two of them circled each other in what appeared to be very well organized. I stood still and stared at them for approximately three minutes, 
I found watching them very calming, until one of them stopped and suddenly I was engulfed in a white light. I could not see anything and I was frightened out of my wits, but then I suddenly calmed instantly, I wasn't even out of breath anymore and the light went away and by that time both of them were gone. I thought nothing of it at first and just speed walked home. But when I got home it was 3.17 am, 5 hours after I left. From my perspective, I thought I had been gone for maybe 45 minutes. The next day while at work I kept getting memory flashes of being on a platform in an all-white room surrounded by tall nude blonde people. I also had memory flashes of being released from the platform and trying to mingle with the tall nude blonde people who I suspect to have been Nordic aliens, or what are referred to as Pleiadeans. And they all looked like they were scared of me. One of their hands glowed blue and slapped me in the face. For now, that's all I remember but every second day or so I get another memory flash. People talk about lost time scenarios and possible abductions. I am fairly convinced that is what happened to me. I just don't know why they would assault me. Slapping my face was not necessary. In fact, I had a red mark and a slight bruise on my left cheek for several days. There's something else I don't understand. What happened to my dog during my abduction? Did she accompany me, or was she placed into a state of limbo during the event? Nothing else has occurred since the incident. But I never want to experience anything like that again. I live in Salisbury, New Brunswick, Canada. In the winter of 2001, I was followed by an object and abducted for four hours. I then returned to Asbury Park, New Jersey, and saw the craft on the ground and in the sky. I thought, what the hell is that? Then I was filled with fear. I thought out loud, that thing is following me. That thing knows me. That thing knows who I am. That thing wants me. I rolled up the window, turned on the radio, and looked again. It was gone from view but I knew that it was now above my car. The next thing I knew, I woke up at the corner of Sunset Avenue in Asbury Park where I lived. I thought, how did I get here? I do not remember driving. I turned past the lake and I was surprised by the big lights behind pine trees, that took up a large space. I stopped the car and rolled down the window. The air was crisp, clear, and cold. I looked and could not believe what I was seeing. It was right there but unidentifiable. It was big and made a low humming sound. It had red and green lights on it. I got scared and rolled the window up, drove to the corner, turned left, and parked in front of my house. I got out of the car and looked toward the lake. It was gone. I thought, wow, what the hell was that? Just then my eyes were drawn toward the sky. I had to bend way back to look at a very huge object way up in the sky, but still close enough to observe. Six or eight sides, dark brown, metallic, and heavy. I wondered how could it stay up there? Windows went around the craft and I thought I may have seen some people. I was so afraid of it. A thought came immediately into my head. It said, we already took you. We are bringing you back. I ran into the house. It was getting light out. It only takes 40 minutes to get from Edison to Asbury Park, but hours passed, at least four. I wanted to go in and call the police but I passed out cold. Around 10 am. 
I woke up, ran downstairs, and looked at the sky but it was gone. For a long long time after I heard high frequency sounds in my head, my intuitive power was heightened and to this day I have had numerous spiritual experiences. I consider myself lucky to have had the experience. I have not been the same since. The experience changed my life. A month after an ex-CIA official claimed that the rumors surrounding a crash in Roswell, New Mexico were true, an ex-Air Force official came forward to set the record straight, stating that there were actually two UFO crashes in Roswell, not just one like most conspiracy theorists believe. The 1947 Roswell UFO controversy has been rehashed in countless documentaries and papers and revolves around allegations that a strange object fell from the sky and was so unlike anything the Air Force had ever seen that they issued a press release stating a flying saucer had crashed in the New Mexico desert. During that time, there have been debunkers trying to prove the opposite. One of those debunkers, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Richard French, stated that there were not one, but two crashes in Roswell. French stated, there were actually two crashes at Roswell, which most people don't know. The first one was shot down by an experimental US airplane that was flying out of White Sands, New Mexico, and it shot what was effectively an electronic pulse-type weapon that disabled and took away all the controls of the UFO, and that's why it crashed. French's revelation comes less than a month after Chase Brandon, an ex-CIA agent, stated, according to National Geographic, that, it was not a damn weather balloon, it was what it was billed when people first reported it. It was a craft that clearly did not come from this planet, it crashed and I don't doubt for a second that the use of the words remains and cadavers was exactly what people were talking about. Brandon told his story about walking into the historical intelligence collection section of the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia in the mid-1990s, and discovering a box that simply said Roswell, I took the box down, lifted the lid up, rummaged around inside it, put the box back on the shelf, and said, my god, it really happened. It seems that French may have corroborated his story. The retired Air Force pilot was in Alamogordo, New Mexico for altitude chamber testing in 1947, and stated specifically how the military reportedly brought down the UFO. He stated, when they hit it with that electromagnetic pulse, bingo, there goes all their electronics and, consequently, the UFO was uncontrollable. Retired Army Colonel John Alexander later stated, however, that French's Roswell story was false. Alexander, who was given access in the 1980s to official documents and UFO accounts stated that, while UFOs are real, there was no official cover-up in Roswell, New Mexico. Alexander stated, no chance. Zero chance. In the 1980s, I was the guy developing all of the pulse power weapon systems. We couldn't have done it then. In the 60s, they had a laser system, but your range was extremely limited and we didn't have operational laser weapons in that time frame. In 1977, Romania was shrouded in the eerie grip of the communist era, where every whisper and rumor was meticulously controlled by the state security and government bodies. 
It was in this atmosphere of secrecy that an unsettling tale emerged, a story that would haunt the small town of Bixit in Kovasna County for years to come. The tale began in the fall of 1977 when a hushed murmur spread through the town like wildfire. A colossal UFO, they said, had descended upon the stone quarry in Bixit. From this mysterious craft emerged beings unlike any ever seen before, non-human entities that bore a message for the unsuspecting miners toiling away in the quarry's depths. The workers, rugged men accustomed to the harshness of their labor, were stricken with fear at the sight of these otherworldly visitors. Panic coursed through their veins like a chilling draft in the darkest of tunnels, and in their terror, they fled. They scattered like leaves in the wind, each miner seeking refuge from the incomprehensible terror that had descended upon them. As the miners scattered, the quarry fell eerily silent, its depths empty and abandoned. Not a soul dared to return to their backbreaking work, their fear too great to be easily forgotten. The stone quarry, once a place of ceaseless toil and determination, now stood desolate, a grim reminder of that fateful day in 1977. The state militia and the ever-watchful state security, guardians of the communist regime, were quick to intervene. Their presence loomed large over Bixit, but their motives and actions remained shrouded in secrecy. Had they orchestrated this encounter, or were they merely trying to control the chaos that had ensued? The truth was hidden beneath layers of obfuscation, waiting for a chance to break free. Years passed, and the communist regime eventually crumbled under the weight of its own deceit. In 1989, the revolution swept through Romania, ushering in a new era of openness and freedom. It was during the mid-90s that journalists, driven by a curiosity to unravel the mysteries of the past, descended upon Bixit. Their quest was to unearth the truth, to speak to the townsfolk and ascertain whether the incident from 1977 had indeed occurred. The stone quarry workers, now older and wiser, were interviewed one by one. To the astonishment of those seeking answers, not a single worker claimed to have heard of such an alien encounter. It was as though the event had been erased from the collective memory of the town. Had it all been a mere intoxication of the mind during the oppressive days of communism? Or had the Securitate, the notorious secret police, done their job so effectively that they had obliterated all traces of the event? The unsettling truth remained elusive, leaving behind only the enigmatic whispers of the past. In the end, the tale of the UFO and the mysterious entities that had descended upon Bixit in 1977 remained a riddle wrapped in the cloak of history. Smoke without fire, some might say, but for those who had lived through it, who had glimpsed the unknown and fled in terror, there was an unsettling sense that something unexplainable had indeed transpired. The truth, it seemed, would forever linger in the shadows, waiting for the light of understanding to reveal its secrets. I've done merchandising for a living for the past eight years. This job requires me to go into retail stores early in the morning, sometimes I will start at midnight, and on this day I start at 3 a.m. Now, I enter a side door, that the night shift workers use. Most of the time I will see someone out there, on a smoke break. However, there wasn't anyone out there this time. I got a little nervous because, on occasion, 
a night manager would lock the door, for whatever reason. Thankfully, it was unlocked, and I proceeded into the store. Looking around, there wasn't even anyone at the front of the store working, typically, they were all over the store, filling shelves. I went to the customer service desk, where a thick vendor sign book lay. I am required to sign in this book every morning before I start working, this way they know what merchandisers are in store. I could not for the life of me, locate an ink pen. I flipped through all the pages of the book, looked under the book, and even went as far as turning the book upside down, just in case a pen was stuck in the book somewhere. Still not finding one, I walked around the counter, checking all the registers, and the lower shelving under the counter, still with no luck finding a pen. I resolved to go find someone with a pen because again, I could not start working until this book was signed. I got about 15 steps away from the counter when I got the sudden urgency to turn around and look at the book. I did, and sitting on top of the book was a bright red pen. I signed in like normal, audibly saying, thank you, to whatever got the pen for me. I spent the rest of the day wondering if the event had actually happened. This store is still a part of my route, I haven't experienced anything else out of the ordinary here.